everyone, and welcome back to the Brian Book Club, the podcast where we take usually it's horror genre like books, media like that, and kind of talk about how it can be inspired in your role playing games. But we're kind of doing something different today. Is we're talking about we're going to be talking about perhaps my favorite show ever. But before we delve into it, I want to introduce today's co-host. His name is Craig. You know him from, and I hate doing this for like everyone, but like you're kind of <laughs> one of the newer ones. So where they can find you at, he's ran two Call of Cthulhu one shots, uh, Cold Harvest, and My Little Sister Will Make You Suffer for our Twin Cities by Night podcast. And he also plays, you know, he played in the Scion one shot that we did for Onyx Path Publishing. And he also currently plays in the Chronicles of Darkness Inferno game called Temptation along with me. Hello, Craig. How you doing, brother? Hello, everyone. I'm doing well. And yourself? Good, good. It's a, it's a early morning. We usually record a little later, but I feel fired up and I'm, I'm ready to go. Uh, so what are we going to be talking about today? The show we are going to be talking about, the absolute fucking holy grail. Anyone who knows me, who has known me longer than fucking 10 minutes, knows this is my absolute favorite fucking show ever, True Detective Season 1. So before we go on, I just want to warn, there might be some spoilers. I don't think we'll get too spoiler heavy with it, but there might be some. Feel free to listen to it, though. Listen to this if you haven't, because maybe you'll want to watch it, and I hope you want to watch it, because I get a royalty check when every time someone watches it after I talk about it. I'm joking. Well, well, season one's been out for like five years now, so if you haven't seen it, the, the expiration date has passed. Yeah, and like that's another thing. Like, when are these, like, oh, the spoiler rules really frustrating, because I don't know when the expiration date is. I don't know, like, you can't talk about shit on Facebook, or your friends will unfriend you, dude, if it's, I'm like, okay. I had someone literally come up to me at the gym and she was like, I'm about to defriend you because you talk about Game of Thrones and I'm only on season like five. And this is when the last season when Aaron, I'm like, sorry, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Like it's been out for a while. But anyway, so what is True Detective? Well, I'm going to tell you all a real quick story about how I actually got into it, which was by accident at the time that came out in 2014, January 2014. But I remember seeing ads for it. And I wasn't sure what it was because I usually will give an HBO show oh, at least one chance. I'll watch the first episode of any HBO show because I'm a huge fan of what they do. And usually I'll set it like on my you know, back then I would set up my DVR so I could just record it and like check it out. And I remember seeing these commercials just showing the two actors who play in the show, um, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson, just driving like in a car. And it was just like true detective. And that's all it said. And I'm like, is this like a spinoff of True Blood? I think at that point, I kind of had given up on True Blood. It just got like a little corny for me. But I was like, well, I'll give it a shot. And I set up my DVR to watch. And I remember I watched the first episode of that show. And I was just like fucking blown away. And I remember going to work and telling people, you got to watch the show. You got to watch the show. You got to watch the show. And it wasn't because of me saying this. But like two or three episodes in, all of a sudden, everyone at my fucking job is talking about this show. And then all of a sudden, you start reading online. And like in the because it's eight episode show like by the fifth or sixth episode people have all these fucking crazy theories and the show was so hot at the time that it came out that when the eighth episode was released hbo's brand new service hbo go that they had at the time crashed because so many people were logging in to watch that season finale when it came on and they couldn't handle the traffic so it's it's a it's a it was that impactful at that time for a lot of people now when did you first discover it when with your story so um, I first discovered it in Afghanistan. Actually, um, not sure if uh, <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't really talk about um, my history a lot, but I was in Afghanistan for various uh, reasons, and it was like you had to walk to uh, a building across um, the area I was in. It took you ten minutes to walk there, ten minutes back, 
and all day to download anything, um, <laughs> be it like a podcast. I was really into podcasts at the time, um, music or whatever. And I was listening to this podcast at the time, uh, Ken and Robin talk about stuff, and they did a segment on True Detective. And the reason why it was uh, mentioned on there was it's the show's fixation with like uh, Chambers, King and Yellow, and y- Yellow King um, uh, horror um, anthology. But uh, so they did a deep, deep dive into it, and the show was pretty much over by the time um, I actually got around to it. But there's always like this uh, thing in the back of my mind. I'm like, oh, wow, it's a detective story. And then smack dab in the middle of it, oh my gosh, it turned into basically a Haster Cthulhu mythos story. And I'm like, this is right up my alley. So as soon as I get a chance, I'm going to get to flash forward several months later. And I pretty much binge watch the whole thing in a day. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, you mentioned like, okay, so to kind of dive into what the show is, you kind of hinted at it a little bit there. The show basically tells a tale in three different time periods. And, and real quick to kind of even back up a little bit, the the writer of True Detective, and I'm going to butcher his name, and I always butcher his name, Nick Pizzolato is the gentleman who wrote it. And the show actually had uh, one director who directed it the whole time. And his name was Corey Fukunaga. And I, I'm horrible at names, so, so apologize. And for people who might not know, a lot of TV shows have multiple directors who do like different episodes or whatever. This show had the, all the same director and all the same writer. So it was almost like an eight-hour movie, especially with the fact that you had two big-name Hollywood stars, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson, who were in this movie. So um, the, the whole premise of this movie, and uh, it kind of ties to what Nick Pizzolatto's old show was almost like. He had a show he worked on called The Killing that was on AMC for like two seasons, and then Netflix bought it for a third season, I believe. It was a decent show. It wasn't like a show where like I'm gonna like, oh my god, it was it was great. It was a remake of a Swedish show, I wanna believe, but it kind of told the tale of two detectives. And so True Detective is kind of in its heart that story about two cops, but it's much more. And it has this very it's almost like uh and 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 you kind of hinted at it earlier when you talk about Chambers, King and Yellow, and the whole Cthulhu vibe. When people when when you hear us say that it has that vibe, it's not up front. Is not like in your face. Yeah, it like, is very subtle and very they, they subtle. Go ahead. Yeah, they they don't really uh, treat the audience like idiots and try to just like blast it right in their face. They just let you discover it. Um, the The storytelling of the show is really what pulled me in. They kind of like break it up um, into like three different segments. You you come in um, and it's like ninety five when there was a big investigation. Uh, 2002 when there's the fallout of another investigation and when they're actually completing an investigation and 2012 which is reopening the case and um, them looking into it and other agents are looking into it as well but we'll build to that yeah yeah for sure yeah so the story like these two detectives are like the the main focus and this is what i like about the show and the fact that and it really i tell people all the time that without this show there would be no twin cities by night because this is like what inspired me to even like want to share my stuff it's it's the it inspired me to even the 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 story or the tone or the theme i was going for in our vampire the masquerade story or even the ultimate evil chronicles darkness story but what i like about it is very character driven show because you it's almost like you have these two detectives and that's what the story's about is those characters and everything in the it's a very subtle backdrop to it and what, and what I mean by that is 
I think the thing that made me enjoy this show so much was the fact that I found elements of both of these characters. I found elements of myself and both of these characters that I saw. And especially in the fact that not only are you shown these two characters and their personalities, you're shown it as their personalities involved. Like many people do like Craig pointed out in 95 to 2002 to then to like the current modern day, you're given three different distinct time periods with these two characters and the changes that they have gone through. So you see this journey of self-discovery, of pain, of loss, of realization. It's such a beautifully done thing. And I think like by far, I enjoyed the murder, subtle horror, all that aspect. But without that very character driven element to the story, I think it would just be, it wouldn't have been as good. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. The characters are important. Let's talk about those characters. Uh, We've yet to introduce them. Um, So we have two real well-known actors, Matthew McConaughey playing Detective Russ Cole, and we have Woody Harrelson playing Detective Marty Hart. And in my mind, True Detective is really what um, resuscitated the the careers of these two actors. Um, But Russ Cole, um, Matthew McConaughey's character, he's sort of like a nihilistic guy, and it's really going against type for pretty much any role Matthew McConaughey has ever played up to now. Like basically you saw him as like the love interest or like, <laughs> yeah, or yeah, like yeah. all right, all right, all right. <laughs> but to, to see him um, really flexing his acting muscles here, it's, it's great because like he's a guy who has a really unstructured past. Uh, he grew up um, in Alaska, spent some time in Texas, um, narco operations with, the police force down there, deep cover. Um, and then he got into um, Louisiana's um, police, like criminal murder investigations. And then we got um, Woody Harrelson playing Detective Marty Hart. And he is portrayed as basically the antithesis of um, Russ Cole. Uh, he's, he's a family man with many faults, but he's, he's a team player. He's, he's well-liked in you know, on the floor, the detective, uh, or the detective precinct that they're in, police precinct, and he's a very much an everyman cop. And then he gets a new partner, Russ Cole, and the two kind of clash and butt heads. And their first case together turns into an occult murder. Yeah, for sure. And both these characters, they're like they're so nuanced. Like with Rust, he's a nihilist. Because like he, his daughter got killed, his two-year-old daughter got killed in a car accident, his marriage fell apart. When he was doing deep undercover narco, he got addicted to drugs and he almost got killed and he spent time in a mental hospital. When he got out, he could have gotten a mental health pension. Instead, he decided he wanted to work homicide. So he goes to New Orleans, which he considers like the armpit of the world. There's, he has a lot of sensory issues because of the drug use he has. So which is least one thing, and I'll, I'll digress a little bit later, but he like says, has a lot of these impactful lines. There's a lot of good scenes where him and Marty are in a car, and there's one scene that's really hilarious because, like you said, Marty's kind of like salt of the earth, raised in Louisiana, quote-unquote normal cop. He's trying to talk to Russ because Russ keeps bringing up religion or talking about like like how shitty the area is, and he's like, well, what religion are you? And he's like, I'm not religious. He's like, you're not? Then what would you call yourself? He's like, I, I call myself a pessimist and he's like what does that mean and he's like it means i'm not good at parties like well i hate to tell you rust you're not good at anything really (laughs) and and, you know it's just like these lines that they have but you get this really like balance of this total like depressive observation to like the reality of the situation brought by by marty and it kind of like really balances each other out 
one thing that people often debate because we talk about how later on the show and I don't want to dive too into it, but about the character of Marty is the fact is one debatable thing is are the things that he's saying or he maybe sometimes sees because he has these really once in a while, these weird sensory visions kind of a couple times during it. Not like the Russ, not Marty. Yeah. Russ, excuse me. He has like real sensory visions, you know, like he's super negative. He has, he thinks it's because of this damage that he took because all the drugs he did while undercover and there's often debate in the, I guess, the fan base of True Detective or whether or not, like, the, these slight visions he may be having are supernatural-based or are they drug-induced, you know? Because the show never comes out and really says straight up that there's, like, a supernatural zing to it, right? Right. I mean, at one point, uh, he's Russ is dating this one doctor girl, and they ha- all sit down to dinner, and he's basically describing synesthesia, Um had a little bit of experience um, well, knowing people with this, but they basically, they could taste sound, hear colors, um, different um, sounds have certain synchronistic um, like pairings with them. One thing that was um, occur- recurring is whenever uh, Rust would notice something supernatural, he'd always say it tastes like ash and aluminum. Mm-hmm. And that was something very particular to him. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so you one thing about these two characters that you you see too is that they're very flawed characters both in their own ways and both try to justify their flaws by saying that they're these great people and they are in the end I believe like good people, you know, like they made mistakes in life just like a lot of people make mistakes in life and people aren't perfect but you you really see like it's a tragic story about not only about this murder that they're looking into but a self realization that they both have. And so to kind of tie a little bit into like role playing games, and I think we can kind of take different chunks of the of of the show, and then like talk about the what we're about to talk about rather than wait to the end. But one thing that I really feel that I take away, I try to take away at least from when I run games, is the fact that everything else should be a backdrop on, and the focus should be on the characters. You know, the show does a brilliant job where it has people debating if this is like some, you're going to see some Cthulhu tentacle monster come out of a swamp, you know, or like, is there's like, there's a lot of debate. We'll get into that later on. But the really, in the end, the focus of that story is Rust and Marty and the journey that they take together and how all this stuff dramatically affects them. And one thing that I definitely try to do, and thankfully I'm blessed with like good players who, who play in these games who I think share the vision, is the fact that these two are exposed to stuff that normal people aren't exposed, and you see how it affects their life. And that is one thing that I try to do in the games is, you know, for example, like with Vampire the Masquerade, you have all this plot, all this meta plot. You got clan politics. You got like, I mean, books up the wazoo about different elements of this of this setting. But you can easily lose the story in that setting. What do I mean by that? Well, the stories are made by characters and their desires and their motivations and their drive and what how they react. And if you just spend hours focusing on some Methuselah that wakes up and how they're related to Kane and who blah, 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 and all like answering all these meta questions, you're going to lose the characters in that. And I think that why, what really, what, why I say there would be no twin seas by night. If there wasn't true detective is because I think watching that show, I really loved how the characters were the focus. And that led me to, that's how I wanted to run, you know, stuff uh, that I run on our channel, especially like the ultimate evil. I think the ultimate evil in a weird way was like my homage to true detective a little bit, you know, like that I wanted normal people who were affected by, abnormal shit you know what i mean and it was like and try to tell a real story in it. and i feel that that's what this does what, what what are your thoughts on that 
Well, my thoughts are, like you said, games are run by the characters. And if we're treating True Detective like a game, Marty and uh, Russ are the player characters. They're the PCs. And I, I, I have a question for you, Chris. If there are like uh, Chronicles of Darkness characters, what do you think that their, uh, let's say, vices and virtues might be? Oh, wow. Uh, I would say, oh, man. I would say uh, virtue for Marty would probably be a hope. And I think that virtue for Rust would probably be justice. And then I would say vice for Marty would be lust. And I would say vice for for Rust would probably be, I'd say wrath maybe. You know what I mean? Like just how anger consumed he gets with everything and how he wants to like solve this case which we'll dive into a little bit definitely i mean i'm surprised you never picked it up but i mean it's not like it's it's funny how many homage hints that leave and um the in ultimate evil the truck stop worker her name was dora lang like after the the chick the victim and true detective so i throw like these little like (laughs) i'm like surprised i was like wait a second you unoriginal motherfucker you know what i mean but like (laughs) like the whole truck stop scene you know what i mean and all that shit like i just that was that was totally homage to uh to true detective man for sure yeah and actually i think one of our first conversations back when i was just um Twin Cities by Night underground fanboy. Uh, Listen, um, was yeah, potato, <laughs> tomato. Um, but um, I, I'm like, hey, was the whole party scene um, at the end of Negligence was that was that inspired by season two at all? Yep. yep Granted, we're was. not talking about season two, but uh, yeah, 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 we're talking yeah. About pulling elements from games. Yeah, for sure. Season two, a lot of actually season two was inspiration, and I was watching season two at the time when negligence was happening so that's that like a lot of that stuff was impacted that and eyes wide shut for sure so what is the case that these two are investigating so let's delve into a little bit like what's important about that so uh, when we first meet our characters it's basically their first day on the job together and they're um, brought together in this first um, long car ride that you mentioned earlier um, having their nihilistic um, discussions and they come upon this um big tree in the middle of nowhere there's the local police have already secured the area and since they're state detectives they're coming in to take over the investigation and they find this basically staged occult scene where this naked woman is wearing like a crown with antlers on it she's um, tied up um, wrist um, bound and basically put down in some sort of like supplicant worshiping position to the tree and there's um, some iconography um, painted on our back. It looks like a like a big spiral, mm-hmm. and there's these like wooden stick things. Um, they look like bird like, basically like twigs tied. Yeah, yeah they kind of look like bird captures or devil snares. Um, yeah, 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 I think yeah. there's a a, cha- a certain changeling uh, thing that uh, <laughs> kind of drew inspiration from them on the channel. But uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so um, they discover the scene and start. Um, going off this investigation that uh, basically leads them to like some less scrupulous yeah. elements, right? Like they 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 kind of like because they find in her system she has LSD and meth, and they start talking to like her ex in prison, and they start to, like dude, we don't want to ruin too much. Like how did they come to these conclusions? Because it's really fucking awesome how some yeah. of the shit is found out. But in the end, they find out. And this is by the way, 1995. This is the first time that they're taking a stab at this mystery and they kind of ties back to these two drug dealers 
One, his name is Remy Ladue, and the other, uh, I forgot his partner's name. He really doesn't play that big of a part. But you see, you start seeing when they start figuring out this Remy Ladue guy might be the person that killed her because you uh, you realize there's a point um, where he's cellmates with her ex-husband, and the cellmate talks about this dude and the shit that he's talking about. And he, she's like, yeah, he makes really good chemical shit, gets he fucked up. But, like, he starts rambling on this, like, trippy, like, shit about, like, yeah taking people to this place called carcosa like these groups of powerful people who devil worship and kill each other or kill kids and everything and then he he mentions how one thing that's i noticed by the way because fans rewatch the show constantly and i have i noticed the last time i rewatched it before we did this where he was talking about a term in prison where he had short eyes and and that means that like someone's a pedophile and he basically says that he felt that this dude remy lacroix had short eyes and that's a thing but he would never tell anyone in that prison but when he'd get fucked up he would kind of hint at his celly so they have this really intense scene again i don't want to spoil too much but where they find these two uh people and they also find this u-haul trailer really fucked up scene where there's like this little girl and this dead little boy in there and it's not too like it leaves which is another good thing which we'll talk about the strength of the show it doesn't get too graphic and what it shows you it leaves it to your imagination and basically the killer who they thought the killer is at the time died he gets killed and so they think that this case is this solved. Case closed. They're big Christ heroes closed. now. Yeah, yeah, they're big fucking heroes, dude. They makes, fucking... makes all the local papers, and the yeah. institution is um, has them as their poster boys for a while. Because mm-hmm. another um, theme of the show is the corruption within the institution, and who's <laughs> actually trying to cover up. Um, we we realize in these later years, in the 2002 and 2012 investigations, that hey, they think that they may not at least rust and. Um, uh, at least Russ does. He thinks that hey, we probably didn't get the guy, and Marty's all um, okay to let it lie. They're big he- um, heroes. Case shut, and uh, Rust actually gets in trouble a lot in like the 2002 storyline, where he's like reaching back and re-looking into the case. He gets um, suspended um, from the force for actually being insubordinate and misusing police funds to justify Talk- going in and looking at this old case again talk yeah the, he in that it, what happens in 2002 he's kind of they feel like he like like craig said they are heroes the rust actually starts stops becoming a nihilist and is like starting to become normal has a relationship they're all happy rust who's kind of like not the best husband or uh marty who's not the best husband is back, happily back in his marriage and the, everything's good and then just one little thing said in a police interview makes rust realize wait a second there's a lot more to that case we solved and it one thing that I like about this case is, and it kind of ties even back to that spiral symbol that they show on Dora Lang when she first got killed. That's the first victim back in 95 is in conspiracy circles. That's considered a, a sign of like pedophilia rings. It's like a sign that like people pedophilia, pedophilia rings leave for each other. And one thing that I like that Nick Pizzolato did with the show is he took like large ranging conspiracy theories and he made them into fiction, which is like a really awesome thing to do for like world of darkness games because it was funny i was joking with the gang about how i was when i was getting ready for ultimate evil i was ordering on amazon all these conspiracy theory books and i was like put them in i didn't put them in my bookshelf i kind of hit them on the side because i didn't want someone to come into my house and be like looking like oh nice book collection to be like oh <laughs> I see all these books i had that i was reading because they provide good inspiration for stories and that's what happened with this is that basically rust comes to find that like there's huge tentacles of 
corruption and this big like satanic slash like yellow king ring that is metaphorical tentacles yeah metaphorical tentacles yeah excuse me that like go from like a huge religious figure to maybe even like people in the police force he he gets paranoid and he does a really good job to where he goes from vanillaist to like normal to like paranoid he like you never hear him say during that whole 2002 block, any of that shit that he said in 95, like, you know, like the world, the universe is a ghetto, man. He's like in 2002, he's like wrathful. He's like obsessed about like, get, he's going to like, a think of a big mega church. He literally went to a, a big mega church dude and was like, kind of subtly like accusing him of knowing about missing children and all this shit, you know? So this guy was definitely being insubordinate because his bosses were telling him don't do it. And then the whole time, you have Marty who's sitting there like their relationships just getting further apart because Russ is treating Marty like an idiot because Marty's not jumping head first into the issue, you know? And that's one misconception I, I think some people have the shows like Marty's an idiot, you know, like like Matthew McConaughey, Russ, he's the smart one. He sees the big picture and Marty's just this dumbass where I think Marty's actually has a more grounded approach of doing shit. You know what I mean? Like you yeah, can't they, they both put dots and in investigation on their sheets. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you know, Marty's like, you can't go to the head of a major church and be like, I know you're part of a child pedophilia ring. That doesn't work. You know what I mean? You got to be more subtle than that. So you take your time. You got to build your case. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like this, it's this really nice dichotomy and this whole time you start seeing the show does a really good job of you start in that second time frame. You start seeing that, like, holy shit, there might be this huge fucked up thing going on. They start talking about, like, the conspiracy theories about kids who are molested in daycares, which was a big thing in the 80s, which ended up being not true. But, like, a lot of people were accused of doing that in the 80s. Uh, I have a book about that called Michelle Remembers that specifically I bought for The Ultimate Evil because seeing shit in True Detective and doing research where all these ideas came from. You know, a lot of you start seeing a lot of these, like, elements that they start, but they don't do it in, like, a very overt way, which is beautifully done they do it in this really subtle creepy like horror way you know what i mean like it's so weird and in the words of the um, author they illuminate things they don't explain them yes yes that's exactly it they illuminate them and don't explain them so you have where there's a big falling out i don't want to say why but there's a falling out in 2002 that pretty much leads it and it's very sad because you're like you start seeing this tension between rust and marty and it's just fucking like heartbreaking and you realize like marty's going through some midlife crisis shit yeah rust is losing his mind like you know goes from this like i said a super depressed so to like this rabid like fanatic about finding the shit and there's this climatic moment where they just fucking have this huge fight and the really fuck it so such a sad scene where the he throws you realize later but where like marty throws rust into like rust's pickup truck and breaks the back brake light on the, the truck left back left tail like yeah back left tail light and then they just then fucking rust like i quit and then they cut because during the story during the show it's being narrated part of it's being narrated because in 2015 marty 12, 12 excuse me marty and rust are being interviewed by two detectives in the same police force that they worked in. Marty at this point had retired and had like his own PI firm and Rust, he had quit back in 2002 and moved to Alaska and then just recently came back to New Orleans. So a lot of this story is being told by while they're getting investigated and it cuts to 2012, eventually the modern day. And you see oh, that, that, that scene, that, that scene where like, Oh, it's so fucked up, dude. We're like after the cops interview him and Marty's driving off you know what I mean? And then Russ's truck is coming behind Marty and Marty's not sure because he's like thinking his friend might be nuts because the cops are trying to imply that they think his friend's like responsible for these murders. You know what I mean? And all this yeah. shit. 
and you see like they, they, he he was like we need to have a beer like he stops honks and they pull over and you see like marty has his hand on the gun wondering if he's gonna trust this old friend of his and then he's like let's go have a beer i buy then he turns around he's like wait you might need to buy i don't have money and then he gets back in his truck and drives off you see that taillight still broken after fucking like 10 years like never bothered to fix it never bothered to fix it like it was a reminder to him of the friendship they had and you're like oh my fucking god it was like so fucking heartbreaking dude that show is so heartbreaking man it's such an emotional fucking roller coaster you know by far i think each ap- each aspect of that show has like significance to me, but like that last third, the last act, I guess you could call it the the last of the three acts where it goes to modern day. I think is so fucking well done, dude. So fucking well done because you see these two men who are like in their fifties or four late forties or early fifties, and they're just like over the shit. They're over like the stupid petty bullshit. They are more driven and focused than they were ever driven before to get answers on something. And I don't know what your thoughts on it. If yeah. You have a- I mean, uh, Rust was always, you know, since 2002, when he heard uh, that there's more into this, he was always driven and it took Marty some convincing, which I'm not going to spoil that, but he oh, was able to convince them. Yeah. What a scene. One of the most, one, dude, I'm not going to say what it is. I'm not going to spoil it, but I will tell you there is a scene in that show where it is absolutely masterful horror. And it, it's just like, th- th- it's implied. Too. It's implied. It's, it doesn't have to be grotesque or anything about it. Oh God damn. The, dude. the implication I, I, is way worse than anything you could have seen. For sure. Or exactly. well. So, so fucking well done, but continue. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> oh uh, yeah. Um, that was it. But, um, yeah, anything's I, I do want to circle back to what you've said about the symbols. Um, you mentioned that the there's that spiral symbol that it was like a conspiracy symbol being like the spiral for pedophiles to recognize each other. But um, another interpretation that a lot of fans had was it's maybe the yellow sign, which in Chambers's fiction, at least like his horror fiction, he is much no, better known as a romance writer. <laughs> but yeah, uh i heard that yeah. yeah yeah but um there's this thing called the yellow sign and it's that and a few other aspects and this is where we get into like some sort of like the later um lovecraft um ideas that seeing and being exposed to um some certain things can just literally drive you mad i think in the show especially with cole you get this sort of idea that the veil is being lifted in certain certain places and he's able to kind of perceive into the supernatural a little bit. It's a sort of a theme that um, keeps popping up and it takes a long time for um, Marty to um, get into it. But Cole, since 2002, he's, he was been, the veil was kind of lifted some very suddenly for him. And we mentioned them as world of darkness characters. I kind of think in this um, sort of um, vein, they're Cthulhu investigators where they're like Cole suddenly lost a whole bunch of sanity points and Marty's still trying to hang on to the fact that there's nothing wrong with the world. But um, Cole is basically diving headfirst into this conspiracy. I agree with you. I think we can even talk, kind of cut into how you can take that conspiracy stuff and use it in game. You mentioned Call of the Cthulhu, the the losing of sanity. You know, I saw, I listened to a re, um a uh, 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 recent Joe Rogan episode clip with Steve. I know, right? These guys aren't like fucking scientists or whatever, but they Steve actually said something because he's he's done no longer uses drugs, but he was talking about his drug use. I used, to, I mean, dude, this dude made Ozzy Osbourne look like a preschooler with the shit he was doing, and. When it comes to a story idea, and this is actually something I try to crack with some of my characters, and I think that 
is kind of implied how I view Rust is the fact that that Steve said like there's like three dimensions that we're all aware of, right? And that in Steve's opinion, this this is not mine or whatever that and Joe Rogan's that there's others that we can't perceive, like our mind cannot perceive, but with the use of drugs and the overabundance use of drugs, sometimes your brain is able to perceive stuff that normally it wouldn't be able to perceive. So I kind of interpret that they're basically trying to say if you're tripping or you'd see something because of drugs, if you could really be seeing something real that your brain normally couldn't perceive on the normal. And I think they kind of tie that a little bit because you see Russ trying to compartmentalize what he's seen or what he's experiencing in the beginning as, Oh, my brain is damaged from all the drugs I did and the mental trauma that I had with the death of my family and all this shit. When all reality that can be interpreted is, well, now he's perceiving stuff that he normally wouldn't be able to perceive like the smells, that weird symbol when the birds fly in that spiral symbol that was on the body that he randomly saw. These, these little hints that he is supposed to be. I mean, there's even other hints in the game or in the story where people like kind of look at rust and they're like, I see your eyes are dead. I'm going to put you down next time I see you. Or he's called <laughs> little priest. <laughs> yeah. Little priest and shit like that. So it's like, Come down of, with me. yeah. And so it's like one thing that you can use that in a game kind of two things, but one thing is you can do that slow descent of madness and which is a really hard thing to do. Or even like the, how explain how your character can know there's stuff out there. I try to do that hunters hunter two with uh, my Walter guy and like the drugs. And like, he's always explaining his experiment in his mind. And uh, I'm sure in Cthulhu, there's stuff like that too. With the Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so this right here is a good, um, good uh, way to explain how mechanics of a game really inform the genre in Cthulhu. For instance, the more sanity you lose, the more crazy you get, the easier it is to lose more sanity, and you can very quickly fall off that mountain. But um, a cool mechanic of it is, if the first time you go insane, and many um, time after that, you get these things called Cthulhu Mythos um, skill points, where it starts at zero. It's the one skill you just can't have any starting ranks in, but as you get insane more and read more weird books and get exposed to more weird truths, that skill slowly, slowly goes up and it gives you the chance to recognize the truth of what's going on. That not may not be the best idea for your character um, as far as survivability, but it does tell a good story. But no, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's what the, I mean, it, it's still debated to this day by a lot of people. If True Detective, if it was a supernatural bent to it, because I'm not going to explain how it ends. I don't want to spoil the ending or whatever. Is it like a supernatural bent or is it, uh, or is it just like all just, this weird conspiratorial bent or whatever. I think it's both. I, me personally, I think that's what they're trying to go for. I mean, I can't put my mind in the, in the writer's head, but that's how I interpret his art that he put forward. You know, uh, I think though, that one thing that I like, and I know I definitely steal this from true detective. I mean, I'm sure it was a, it was a concept before true detective. I know true detective inspired me for it was the subtlety, the subtlety of everything. I love, subtlety and games i run i try to i mean there's some moments where there's like in your face moments don't get me wrong but those are those aren't true detective dude there's very like you know kind of moments i'm talking about the overall plot you know there's shit that i have for example that was in twin seas by night dread that will probably never be explained in game terms to people you know what i mean unless like the characters do some deep diving or whatever but there's npcs who are there who people never probably know what clan they are unless they put two and two together you know what i mean or know what they are who they are what they are you know what i mean but that game mechanic term for them but the reason that i like the subtlety is because 
let the imagination do the work for you. Make like have people, your players, have people if you're doing an actual play, listeners be like, what, what who was that motherfucker? You know what I mean? What was that? Was he tied to this all and leave those questions because man, that I mean, it's a it's almost like making letting other people do your work for you. Like let them come up with their own story <laughs> that you're providing, you know? Like it's an awesome feeling, dude. It really is, though. But it's 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 part of horror. Like you said, that one scene, again, we're not gonna spoil it, but that one scene teases just enough. And then lets your mind do the rest and the reactions of the actors and all that shit, man, just makes you fucking makes it by far my favorite horror scene probably ever in anything that I've ever watched. And you don't even see an ounce of blood. You know what I mean? And it's just like such a creepy thing. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's why I really like that's one thing that, that I like about the show. It's subtle and it's eerie and it's scary. Yeah. Um, another um, thing that you could use for gaming is I mentioned it earlier, the virtues and vices. Um but um, one thing I noticed a lot of what was happening was the destructive behavior, and they're totally going to get willpower back for doing some of this. <laughs> you could tell. Actually, um, Marty, he, he he sleeps around. He drinks a lot. Um, for a while, he even finds God, which his wife um, comments like, yeah, I didn't really care for that phase. At least he was a good man, but he was boring then. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, – uh, he justifies this all to himself as being like he says it's this is what you do so you can go back to being a family man. This is this is the stuff that I have to do to decompress to in game terms regain willpower so yeah. I can carry on my day. <laughs> That's really awesome observation. Yeah, you put it great. Marty is such a like the character of Marty is, is is that's really awesome. I like Marty. I love the line where they taught his wife says like Marty just never knew who he was. You know what I mean? And it was mm-hmm. like, and it's, you know, being a husband, being a father, just living your life, you know, like mm-hmm. Russ was going through his own, here's the thing. Russ was more external with his pain where Marty was more internalized his pain. Oh yeah. Trying to run from it. Now, some, some, there's a lot of debate over like what um, Marty's biggest sin is um, throughout the show, but uh, um, cause like he does a lot of drinking, he sleeps around, yada, yada, yada. But my, my theory is it's his inattention to, Mm. things got home um he he makes all these excuses of what he needs his wife really throws it back in his face at some point but um he's not noticing his family growing up there's a scene where her, his daughters are playing with dolls and they basically stage a murder scene and he just like huh, whatever and then there's this um scene flash forward where her daughter draws some uh lewd and violent images um and crayons and shows all her friends because she wants to be popular and like he he does the bare minimum that a father has to do but then kind of sweeps it under the rug again um the daughter grows up and kind of starts sleeping around herself and there's a scene where he basically beats up uh her boyfriend oh, the two, uh, two guys yeah they're over eight yeah. too yeah here, here, yeah that- but Go ahead. I'm sorry. But yeah, yeah. Um, to make my point, um, uh, his father-in-law called it, called him out on it too. Is just he's not paying enough attention to his family, and that's really what his biggest sin is. Yeah, Marty. He's selfish. He's selfish. He's selfish. But and it's and I'm empathetic to it a little bit too because he, not that I, I'm like Marty or whatever, but sometimes as a man or as a person, just a person period, we get caught up in ourselves, you know, and a lot of times life goes by like that dude life goes by like that like a a snap of the fingers especially when you have children 
and you know like you you like you look at your 15 year old kid and you remember like when he was five running around in a power ranger outfit and it seems like yesterday and there's times where as a father i'm hit with a sense of melancholy sometimes because i'm like fuck where did all that go like i can't yeah, remember. when did i become old yeah and i can't remember that and it's like it, that show does a really good job of that and i think he even even though marty did horrible things as a husband you know what i mean like how he, cheating on his wife you, you can you're somewhat kind of empathetic towards that you know what i mean like like why he's like that it's fucked up and selfish and he's a very selfish fucking person when he was sitting in there and i think he did have a moment there's a scene where he had that where it was talking about the lewd drawings and his wife is angry because he didn't react the way she wanted him to react and he had that moment where he's talking about the past the future seems to be behind him and he has no idea where time went and at first i thought he was faking it and then i realized holy shit he's really having a moment where he's showing his true self and he's telling his wife like he doesn't know mm-hmm. up and down and he doesn't fucking know who he is and i feel that at times too i'm 42 you know what i mean and i look at like the 30 year old version of me or the 20 year old version of me and i see where, where, where did this change you know what i mean how did the fuck did i get here and it's like this like roller coaster sometimes that drop where you like your stomach goes up and you lose it where you realize that like you're not in control of life life is in control of you and you're just along for the fucking ride and i think that that's really signified a lot in marty you don't see that rust you, you see that that's why marty's my favorite character to be honest because you see like all this realism that's grounded to the story and also one thing that i think that it does good and I think they use Marty more for this because, like you said, Rust has been exposed. Rust has had his mind open. You know, you could say whether or not he's like seen. the veil has been lifted. Yeah, the veil has been lifted. Marty's different in the fact that with Marty, you see how when people are exposed to horrific things, they see things in a different light. And what do I mean by that? You mentioned the murder scene. Okay. Well, I, I have a different outlook on that because there's also a scene where he, uh, I th- I, uh there's a scene where, um, he sees like a circle drawn or whatever on his daughter's wall, shit like that. I think that what they're trying to show there is that Marty now will always see the murders and what he's witnessed in everything. And it'll ruin everything. You know what I mean? Like he's starting to see the signs in his daughter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. He actually, um, he gives at some point, um, like later on in 2012, you find out that he's gone on to PI work. He, there's an exact moment. I'm not going to explain what it is where he just, he experiences something kind of grotesque and he's just like, I have enough of this. I'm getting out. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah. he's been in, he's did his time. He's played by the rules. He's part of the um, old boys club um, back at the police station. He could have been a captain if he stayed in. But he decided to get up because he couldn't put himself through that anymore. And here comes his um, buddy from 10 years ago to drag him back into it. Yeah, for sure. And it's like um, with, with Marty, uh, what what I like about, and this ties to how you can use this in the game again, I think Marty shows really well as a player how you can take the if your character is exposed to horror and and have it affect your daily monotonous life, you know what I mean, in, in, in a subtle way. Because like – like dude one of the saddest scenes in the show is a scene where and to talk about the loss and not paying attention to your family and realizing where time went and you see that like when when like there's there's this thing scene where they show his two daughters arguing over a crown that has like streamers on it in the front yard and the oldest kid takes it from the youngest and throws it in the tree and it gets stuck in a tree and then the camera pans out and shows it still in the tree but then goes back down and shows a pickup truck coming you see the teenage daughter jumping out and the other girl who's a teenager they imply that like time went by and the kids grew up you know and then they cut to marty's face when he's being interviewed and you just see this sorrow like he like at that age at the old age in 2012 he realizes that like his his life went 
by without him. You know what I mean? And that like he missed all that. And it's a real that's a horror too. Him realizing that, like, fuck, dude, like everything that was important to me went by. And it's even more solidified when they have that scene where like Rust and Marty reconnect. And he's like, So what you been up to to Marty? And Marty's like, Oh, you know, kind of dated a girl home. for a little Yeah, I go home, kind of dated a girl for a little bit. And they just show him like drinking a beer and eating a microwave dinner. And just like surfing a dating site and then just like sitting back in his chair and watching TV. And he's not doing anything because he's alone. You know what I mean? And he's by himself and he doesn't have like, even when he goes and talks to his wife who got remarried, you know what I mean? And he asks about his kids. He doesn't know where his kids are at, what they're doing. And he feels like that disconnect. And it's a it's sad. It's a real sad thing to show how, you know, even that case. Now, do I think even without the case, that marriage would have worked out? Probably not. But I definitely think that, you know, that case ruined everyone's not ruined but impacted everyone's life that was in the story like that you know at least that's my opinion on it it's definitely it's definitely like listen and i think this is a good point to wrap it up and i'm just gonna kind of say this to anyone who's listening to this and who may not have watched the show or whatever there's a reason why i always recommend it and i don't recommend it because i'm not a fanboy type i'm not a type of person where i feel like i need to like you know oh you gotta like this shit i like you gotta you like this and i'm just gonna bug you until you fucking like it because you know whatever no i just i don't have i'm 42 i don't have the energy for that dude but like when I say that this show is good, I mean, I'm not going to bug people to watch it. I'm just going to tell people it's fucking good. And if you're a World of Darkness or a horror role-playing fan and you want to elevate your role-playing or you want to elevate your story, watch this. Just watch this. There's a reason why this show has such a good reputation. And a lot of people, there's a reason why people joke about watching it for the hundredth time this first season. You know what I mean? Like, because it's like an eight-hour movie. I th- I look at like an eight-hour movie, bro. That's what, how I look at it. I look at like the timing, the the rhythm. All that shit is just perfectly done. And to be honest with you, this show, the first season was so well done that the they have a season two and three. It's like in and in, uh, different stories, different actors have never met that high bar that that first season set. Like no, no other season of that show has even gotten close to meeting it. Now are they bad? I don't know. That's debatable. I'm never gonna do a Brian Diaries about it. You know what I mean? But like <laughs> that, that first show was so impactful so impactful and like you said uh, a lot of people say it resuscitated the careers of matthew mcconaughey and woody harrelson you know when that came out so i had to say watch it and then if you liked it you could thank us and <laughs> and pay us i'm joking but no nah. in cold proof and cold brew there you go other than that do you got anything else to add i think we had a pretty good discussion about an awesome show uh just make sure when uh you when you're watching it um that you're able to Ah, I thought I was going to get through it. Uh, okay. Um, no, no. I'll just yeah. say this. You're going to watch it more than once, and you're going to pick up shit that you didn't pick up before, and you're going to see yeah. little hands. It's going to make you feel nuts for a little bit. You're going to be like, wow. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's so good. Like, I haven't even gotten to the third season yet because I just keep watching one again. Yeah, I know, dude. It's so good. Oh, so <laughs> many classic scenes. They're in Carcosa. Carcosa. You know, you're just like, what the fuck is Carcosa? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you find out this. <laughs> unlayered history of like everything just oh it's so so masterfully done so check it out watch it drink cold brew listen to black sabbath and uh until then man thank you for joining me craig come die with me little priest oh man they're gonna see you in Gakosa. until then next time oh hello again folks i'd like to tell you about the facebook group we run called white wolf and onyx path rpgs gameplay and media have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts or just media in general that deals with your favorite white wolf role-playing games or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded 
one that won't be drowned out by random posts and discussions, so that your media could get the attention you deserve. The group is specifically run with the sole intent of being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. The group is already immense and continuing to rapidly grow, with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there.